Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. And uh, appreciate seeing those young people get baptized this morning. Uh, when I graduated Bible college, I had the opportunity to pastor a church. I don't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing, but anyways, I pastored right out of Bible college. My wife and I had just got married, and we went to a little desert community, and, and some of you may know it once I talk about it, Boron, California. Has anybody ever heard of Boron? Okay, has anybody ever heard of Borax? <clears throat> That's where it comes from. That's where the mine is. A lot of our folks worked at Borax. We had 1,500 people in town, and uh, we were there at First Baptist Church, just a little, little church, little community, and we just went at it, and we just had a good time. And those folks put up with so much with a 21-year-old pastor, that's for sure. But we did our best. And uh, I was thinking about the baptisms, Pastor. We had a guy come. Uh, <clears throat> he moved from somewhere over in the Midwest, I think it was, and moved out to Boron. And I said, what are you doing in Boron? And he said, well, I'm a gunsmith. And he got hired. There was a gunsmith in town. He got hired to work in the shop. And he started to come. And he had a church background, but he wasn't saved and, and got saved. And, and he said, what do I do next? I need to get baptized. And he need to follow the Lord, believer's baptism, and uh, become a part of this church and grow and get discipled. He said, all right, let's do it. Well, our baptistry wasn't, um, wasn't uh, well, I told your pastor yesterday, it wasn't a good baptistry, number one. But at that time, it wasn't working at all. So I said, we got we to gotta baptize. We'll go to someone's house. We'll use a pool. And so we had a good family, the Coronado family. And uh, everybody lived right around the church. It was just a real small community. We walked over to the Coronado's house. We got in the shallow end of the pool. And uh, Luke is about, I don't know, he's about 6'4", maybe. He's quite taller than I am, 6'5", somewhere in there. He's a big fella and uh, definitely beat me in an arm wrestling match. And uh, so we got down in the shallow end of the pool, and I said, you ready? He said, I'm ready. And folks were gathering on. I said, uh, Luke, on your profession of faith, just like with Pastor this morning, I said, baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and buried in the likeness of death. And I put Luke under the water, and I wasn't thinking about it, nor was Luke, because when I put him under the water, I put him under the water kind of heading towards the deep end of the pool. And so as I put him under the water, we kept going like this towards the deep end. And you know, a pool goes like this. And I got him up just in time before he went swimming in the deep end. So that's, uh, that was a fun baptism experience. But uh, uh, anyways, I love seeing kids get, get saved and baptized and grow in the Lord. I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, we're honored to be here. My wife, Summer, in the blue sweater over there. Wesley is seventh grade. And Avery is in fourth grade. I have two other sons. Tyler is at... Vision Baptist College in Berlin, New Jersey, and then Alex is home. He couldn't come. He started a new job at the bank, and so it just wasn't a good idea for him to take off being hired um, just rather recently. So he sends, they both send their greetings as well, but to honor to be here this morning. Matthew chapter 27, if you would please, and I'd like you to notice with me verse number 29. Matthew chapter number 27, <clears throat> verse number 29. The Bible says, and when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. 
And after that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of the school, and we'll read more in a minute, but just look down for time's sake at verse 50. Verse 50, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. I want to preach very simply this morning on something I've just been pondering and meditating a little bit more lately, and that's the cross of Christ. I just want to preach the cross of Christ this morning. So let's pray together. Father, I come in need of the Holy Spirit's filling and power this morning. I want to be a blessing and a help. I don't want to waste their time. I want to be someone that you could use to deliver, thus saith the Lord, the word of God. Lord, I need you, and I really do. And Father, I pray you take this simple outline, this message, and God, you would use it in the hearts of your people. I pray, number one, Lord, if there's someone here that's not yet saved, they're not yet born again, that today would be their day where they come as a sinner and they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. And Lord, no doubt there are many, many folks here that know Christ as Savior. And Lord, perhaps today this message, they don't need to get saved. They do know you as Savior. But sometimes, Lord, in our lives when we just go back to the cross, it just makes us thankful and reminds us of what you did for us. And so I pray if that's the case, you'd work in people's hearts this morning. Perhaps someone needs to be comforted. Perhaps someone needs to be convicted. We'll just leave that in your hands. And Father, we pray and ask you to help us to hear the word of the Lord this morning. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. The cross has been a religious symbol seen all over the world and in many places. Some have it as items of jewelry. Some wear crosses on t-shirts. We see crosses in even sometimes places of business, on journals and notebooks. We see the cross hanging in churches. And for many, it's a religious symbol, maybe a symbol which they hope will bring them good luck, favor with God. Some religions cross themselves as to maybe be a religious four-leaf clover. But for us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and have trusted in the blood of Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection, we know the cross is not a good luck charm, but for us it means more. For it was the place where Jesus hung and died for my sins and for yours. We sing lots of songs about the cross. We sing, there's a fountain filled with blood at the cross we sing all kinds of songs what can wash away my sins nothing but the blood that's where the blood was spilt was at the cross galatians 4 verses 4 and 5 paul said but when the fullness of time was come god sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons and that redemption happened because of the cross And while we love singing about the cross, and while you and I perhaps have an affection and a respect for the cross, can I remind us this morning that it was not a cross that paid for your sins. It was the person on the cross that paid for your sins. 
As I mentioned in Sunday school this morning, John the Baptist was baptizing by the Jordan River. And one day he looked up and saw his cousin coming, but he was more than that. He said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. It was Jesus that would come, born of a virgin, live a sinless life, no sin. About starting off his earthly ministry, about three and a half years, ministered and they took him and they nailed him to a cross and he died for you and for me. And that's why John Newton could write hymns and sing, we sing songs like Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But I wonder as believers, we get so busy. We get so tied up with our religious duties, which are good and the things that we labor for and we do for the Lord. We get so busy with school and work and kids and activities and all that's great and fine. But I ask you, dear friend, this morning, when was the last time in your heart and your mind you took a trip back to the cross? And you reminded yourself, you allowed the Lord to remind you what took place on that awful day. What Jesus did for you. Maybe you're here this morning and we're glad you're here. You have questions. You don't know you're on your way to heaven and how will I get there? What do I do to get there? And what's required of me? Can I encourage you to jump on the bus with us this morning and travel back to the cross? For it was there where my burden rolled away. And it's there where your burden can roll away. And perhaps we could all leave together singing and saying, as the hymn writer said, in my hands no price I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And in Matthew 27, we have the account of what Jesus did for us on the cross. I'd like you to notice, first of all, the pain of the cross. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I remind you of the great doctrine of the triune God. God became man, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons working together, yet one God. Not three gods, one God. And the Bible says that God became man, and the Son of God came in embodied flesh, was born, the Virgin Mary, lived as a boy, grew, we see him at 12 years old, in the temple teaching and listening to the doctors, and we see him ministering to people. And can I remind you that while we affirm and believe and amen the fact that Jesus was truly 100% God, can I remind you that he was a man? And when we look at the cross, I wonder if sometimes we forget that all that happened to him physically, he felt it all. He felt it all. I'd like you to notice the pain he endured emotionally. Look at Matthew 27, verse number 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and bought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I've sinned in that I have betrayed that innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. The pain of betrayal. 
The Bible says that in John 1, he came into his own and his own received him not. The pain of rejection. And no doubt, as Jesus, the God-man, we see him sleeping in the boat. We see him crying out thirsty on the cross. And no doubt that those whom he loved rejected him, betrayed him. Can I submit and carefully assume that there must have been some pain to that? The pain he endured emotionally. What about the pain he endured physically? We don't have time to examine every aspect of the crucifixion, but let's highlight starting in verse number 26. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. What about the pain physically of the scourging? I've done a little bit of reading on this to try to understand, and sometimes you'll read different things, but from what I gather, those that scourged were good at it. And maybe we could say it was an art form. There would have been a handle with these cat of nine tails, these leather straps, and on these straps were sharp things, maybe blades. I've even read pieces of rock or glass or something, and they would take prisoners and those who would be scourged and they would either hang them like this, or they would wrap their arms around a pole as to stretch out the skin. And whoever it was that was skilled at the cat of nine tails would take that whip and he would carefully start beating and whipping the back of the prisoner. And understand all those tails, all those strands of leather would not just hit in one spot. It was designed to hit everywhere on the body. No wonder the Bible said that his visage was so marred. Basically, you couldn't recognize him as a man. The blood, the open wounds. And then in verse 27, the pain of the robe. Then, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe, verse 31. And after that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him, and led him away to be crucified. After the scourging of his body being mutilated, and wounds, and blood, you, you remember and know what it's like to have something even partially sticking to a wound. Maybe when a kid's skinning your knee and having a pair of jeans stick to that wound, having to take it off, or a band-aid, or something like that. Perhaps the pain of the robe to mock him, putting on that robe, and then after some time, I don't know how long, but after some time, ripping it off of him. I remind you, he felt the scourging. He did feel the pain. And what about in verse 29, the pain of the crown of thorns? And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him, mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Verse 30, and they spit on him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And they made him not a crown of gold, but a crown of thorns. And I've read sometimes that these thorns uh, could have been even up to a uh, couple inches long. And, and they would take that and weave that into that thorn, that crown. And they would place it on his head. And the Bible says in verse 30, they took a reed and smote him on the head. Understand, they didn't do that 
gently so that he would not feel it. They put it on him and smacked it down into his skull and the thorns piercing the skin on his head, the crown of his head, blood dripping down his already wounded face. What about the pain of the spit? The Bible says in verse 30, and they spit on him. Now you say, well, that doesn't hurt physically. But I will say that being spit upon perhaps is one of the most humiliating things that can happen to you. To be spit on with somebody's body fluid saliva is a sign of disgust. And they spit on Jesus. And can I remind us of the pain of the nails? Verse 31, the Bible tells us, And after they had mocked him and they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of the skull, and they gave him vinegar to drink with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him. We can compare scripture with scripture and understand they nailed him to that cross. Those weren't little penny nails to hang a picture or even nails to put together a couple two by fours for a building. These were large nails crushed into his hands and his feet to hold him on a cross. And I remind you, he endured all that physically just like you or I would. He felt the nail. And then there's something I can't totally explain or understand, and I don't have never read a commentary which could fully explain what happened, but can I remind you the pain he endured spiritually? Look at this verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I don't know that I could fully explain what happened. I'm not sure exactly what took place within the Godhead and the Trinity there, but Jesus cried something out startling about, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Fulfilling even prophecy from Psalms. And I read this verse from 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he hath made him, listen, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The Lamb of God, the Son of God, became to be sin for us. All the lies, all the lust, all the disobedience, all the breaking of the commandments, all the sin we could name and those we would be ashamed to name, all of that, He was nailed to the cross to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The pain of the cross. There's so much that happened that day that we don't even understand. But I'm so glad I understand that Jesus suffered it for me. He went to the cross and took the nails for me. He took the scourging for me. He shed His blood for me. And I'm so glad that I can have his righteousness because he took my sin. The pain of the cross. 
I'd like you to notice, secondly, the purpose of the cross. Verse 50. And when Jesus, excuse me, when Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. When Jesus gave up the ghost, there was an atonement that was made. Verse 46 tells us that he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Verse 47 tells us, And straightway one of them ran, took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him the drink. The rest said, Let it be, let us see where, whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried, what did Jesus cry? Mark 15, 37 tells us, and Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. In John 19, 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. I don't know all the details of the events that took place there. But at some point, Jesus cried and Jesus said, it is finished. The price of sin had been paid. He that did not know sin took upon us, took upon himself our sin, that we might have his righteousness. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, we quoted that verse, be made the righteousness of God in him. Spurgeon said this, leave out the cross and you have killed the religion of Jesus. Atonement by the blood of Jesus is not, not an arm of Christian truth, it is the very heart of it. To deny the great doctrine of the atonement by the blood of Christ is to hamstring the gospel and to cut the throat of Christianity. That's why Paul said in Romans 5 verse 9, much more than being now justified by His blood we shall be saved from wrath through Him. When Jesus died on the cross and shed His blood, that blood was not just there to, to be a symbol, but oh, the very blood of Jesus was the payment for your sin and my sin. The blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin, but oh, the precious blood of the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And there, Jesus shed his blood for me and you. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath the flood and lose all their guilty stains. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Religion can't do it. Being a member of this church cannot do it. Having a grandma and grandpa that prayed for you and took you to church in VBS cannot get the job done. But oh, the blood that Jesus shed on the cross can wash away not some of your sins, but all your sins. All the sins mom and dad know about and all the sins we hope they never found out about. All the sins of our hands and our feet and all the sins of the mind we hope never get exposed. Jesus Christ paid 
for my sin. An atonement was made. That Old Testament priest would take the lamb and he would cut its throat and the blood would drain and they would take the body of that lamb and give it as a burnt offering and they'd take the lamb into the holy place and then past the curtain with the rope tied around his ankles, he'd go into the holy of holies and there on the mercy sweep, uh, seat between the two cherubims there on the, on the altar, he would put that blood there as an atonement, a covering for sin. When Jesus came as the Lamb of God, He didn't just cover our sins for another year, but I remind you what I said a moment ago. He taketh away the sins of the world. And I like that chorus, gone, gone, gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Are yours gone this morning? If they're gone, it's not because of what you've done. It's because of what Jesus did for you. An atonement was made. But can I show you this as well? An access was made. Look at verse 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And then some things in verse 52 and 53. I hope I get to see one day in heaven on Blu-ray. Those people coming up from the grave. How many want to see that one day? What in the world was that? But I'd like you to notice in verse 51, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. One commentator said that that veil was about four inches thick, some up to some 60 feet long. And different priests had different jobs, and, but there was that one I mentioned a moment ago that would have to make sure he was right with God. And he would be the only one that could go into that holy of holies and sprinkle that precious blood of that spotless lamb as a covering for the sins of Israel. But when Jesus died on the cross, some supernatural things happened. That veil tells us that it was rent in twain. And notice the Bible says, top to the bottom. No human hands could have ripped that veil. You could have resurrected Goliath back from the dead and he could not have ripped that veil. You know who ripped that veil? I believe God ripped that veil. And what God was showing the priest, and boy, can you imagine the shock on the priest's face when they looked in and saw the Holy of Holies in that altar and no more veil. They thought, we're going to die. But you know what God was showing them? That Jesus Christ took down what was blocking them from having complete fellowship with God. See, the law couldn't get it done. But you know what God had done to bring man into access to God? It was the blood of the Lamb. And when Jesus died on the cross, some holy hands reached down from heaven perhaps and took that veil and rent it in twain. And what God was saying is, no longer do you need a priest. No longer do you need a, a temple or a tabernacle. No longer do you need someone to go before you, by the way, which is what some religions are still hanging on to today. But Jesus was telling them, as Paul would write later, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And that's not Mary, and that's not an apostle, and that's not a pastor, a priest, a rabbi. It's not a friend or a church. The mediator is Jesus Christ. And He brings you to the Father. 
And when the Father sees you after conversion, He does not see your sin. He sees the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. You now have access. And by the way, that's a blessing as a believer because I don't have to take my request to a priest to get them to God or I don't have to pray to a saint to get my prayer request to God. I talked to Him this morning. The God of the universe heard my prayers. Not because of what I did, but because Jesus died on the cross and took away that middle wall of partition. Jesus is our high priest. And that's the purpose of the cross. The purpose of the cross was to pay for your sins that you might be made right with God. Jesus Christ took your sins so that you could have his righteousness. I uh, often describe it. I don't have a hymn book up here, but I'll take this bulletin this morning. And let's pretend this morning that this bulletin is the life and record of Ricky James Owens, yours truly. And it has every sin, every thought, everything in there I would be ashamed about. It is full of sin. And by the way, yours would be too. There it is. That can't get me to heaven. In fact, because of that, I'll go to hell because of the justice of God. I think it'd be a good illustration. Let's say that this is the life and record because it is of Jesus Christ. Whoops. Sorry, sound man. This is the life and record of Jesus Christ. It is sinless. It is perfect. It is holy. And you know what happened? On that cross, Jesus took my account. And he shed his blood. And he took my sin. But that's not where it ended because you know what happened? He took that. And he gave me that. And I'm not going to heaven because of that. I'm going to heaven because of his righteousness. Oh, the grace of God. The pain of the cross was very real. It's not something we just talk about. It's something that he experienced. The purpose of the cross was your redemption and mine. It was the blood of the lamb. But I just want to give you this as we get ready to close in a moment. The postlude of the cross. Look at Matthew chapter 28, and I'll hurry. Matthew 28, verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began the dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. For fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring the disciples' word. Aren't you glad Jesus rose from the dead? Oh, I don't have time this morning. I thank God for all the proofs of the resurrection. The fact that uh, the disciples, it was said the disciples would steal the body, but of course they didn't. The tomb was empty. The disciples were surprised to find an empty tomb. If they had stole the body, why were they surprised? 
It is said that perhaps they just, they, uh, they stole it. No, that, that didn't happen. There was over 500 witnesses up until Paul's writings uh, that saw him still alive, that said, yes, he rose from the grave. All these evidences of Jesus' resurrection and Romans 4.25, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. And that's why Paul said in Romans 10.9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The resurrection is not a secondary issue. It is a primary, fundamental doctrine of the faith that Jesus rose from the grave and is now sitting on the right hand of the Father. And I give you this, the power of the cross. But God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The power of the cross is the person that died there for you to be saved by grace through faith. That's power to save you from sin and hell. And I don't have time this morning to remind you the power of the cross, not only for the lost, but the power of the cross for the saved. That we would reckon the old man dead and we're alive unto him. And we can have victory over sin. And we can live in the Spirit because of what Jesus has done for us. Oh, friend, if you don't know that you're saved this morning, come to the cross and the empty tomb. Call upon Jesus by faith and he'll save you this morning. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And dear Christian friend, when was the last time you took a journey to the cross? To be reminded not to worship the wood, not to emulate uh, the ground, but to realize that's the place my Jesus died. And as Paul said in Galatians, how could I glory in anything else but the cross of Christ? Several years ago, I was sitting in my office in Fresno when I was there at Victory Baptist Church in Fresno. We started the church and pastored it ten and a half years before moving out to the Midwest. And there was a gentleman that had been coming to church. His name was Richie. And Richie had gotten invited to come to church from a co-worker who was a security guard. And Richie said, okay, I'll come. And Richie did. Richie was a big man and sat in the back and was very quiet. It was kind of very hard to get to know him. He just was very quiet and checking us out and hearing the messages and he came and he came at least two or three times a month one day richie said pastor can i talk to you i said absolutely we went into the office and i said richie what's on your mind he said i'd like to get baptized i said well good i could baptism's a good thing i said but there's a prerequisite to baptism he said what's that i said you need to be saved I said richie if you've been born again if you've been saved he said well I think so, but I, I don't know. I said, well, how about we wait on baptism and let's start there first. He said, okay. Boy, we turned here and we turned there and I showed him Romans and Ephesians and he asked some questions and for about 45 minutes, we flipped here, we flipped there. And 
And Richie's just staring at me, agreeing with everything. I mean, it wasn't hard to convince him he was a sinner. He knew that. Well, he was right on the line. And I said, Richie, you know the gospel now. He goes, I do. I said, I can't believe it for you. You have to believe. So would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? He goes, I would. I said, now, Richie, I, some people know how to pray. Some people, I said, it's not necessarily the magic words. It's not that. It's, it's your heart calling out to Jesus but some folks are intimidated to pray, so would you like help with that? And, and he, he said, well, I really don't know how to pray. And, but he goes, I want to pray. I said, great. I said, Richie, let's pray. And I bowed my head and closed my eyes behind that desk, and all of a sudden I heard a thump. Richie had gotten out of his chair, fell down on his knees, put his hands up on the desk, and with huge tears coming down his eyes, said, God, and begin to pray and ask Jesus Christ to forgive him and be his Lord and Savior. Boy, I couldn't help but getting all misty-eyed and teary-eyed. He got done saying just a simple, little, teeny prayer. But I'll tell you what, there was faith in that prayer, and Jesus saved him right there on the spot. I could tell you about two of my older sons that got saved as a result of family devotions. Just, just one night after family devotions, two different times, they kept... They kept hearing the gospel. I remember one time Alex, my second son, came to me. He was uh, elementary school, and he said, Dad, what does it mean to be saved? I said, have a seat. We sat down and talked and talked. I said, uh, son, that's the gospel. He had heard it thousands of times, and, but I could tell he was a little bit interested. He said, so what do you think? He said, can I go outside and play? I said, have a ball. He said, why? Just letting the Holy Spirit work, right? Just letting the Holy Spirit work. Wasn't there yet. But boy, I remember one night, several different times, Tyler and Alex, Dad, I need to be saved. Need to be saved. Pray with them, talk with them, finally get saved. I remember one night, Tyler said, Dad, I need to get saved. We talked a little bit. I said, Son, why don't you go to your room, think about it, get some rest. Let's, let's talk about it again. He did. Next morning, Dad, I, I'm still thinking about it. I said, Well, if you have questions, call me. During that afternoon, a school teacher called me and said, Pastor Owens, your son is struggling. Can you talk to him? I picked him up for lunch, brought him back to the office. And I said, son, let's start from scratch one more time. Opened up the word of God, went through some of the Ten Commandments to help him understand sin as a schoolmaster. And I've never heard my son Tyler say a bad word in his life. But as soon as I talked about using God's name in vain, he just broke down under the weight of sin. And he said, dad, I need to get saved. And he prayed and got saved right in the office. The power of the cross. I got saved at Camp Chatech as a fifth grade boy in Chatech, Wisconsin. My wife got saved in San Diego, kneeling down the bedside of her and her mother's a 10-year-old girl. I don't care where it is. I don't care. I don't care the circumstances. The power of the cross, Jesus died to save sinners, and he'll save a sinner who calls upon him by faith. What about you? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? When that jailer stepped out, and looked at Paul and said, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't say, join the church. Paul didn't say, clean up your life. Paul didn't say, turn over a new leaf, get some new goals for the new year. He didn't say, you got to be good. You know, Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, today's a good day to call upon him to be your Lord and Savior. Christian, when was the last time you went back and just said thank you for the cross.
Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to be in this place. I don't take it lightly to preach behind another pastor's pulpit. And Lord, as I prayed and thought about the message and I just kept going back to the simplicity of the cross. And just being reminded of the power of Jesus and the blood, salvation, the resurrection. And salvation, how you made it available for us. And Lord, I ask and pray that if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, Lord, that today they would be saved. And Father, I pray and ask for Christians. that Maybe this morning, they're here, they know they're saved. They've got that settled. But maybe it's been a while since they went back to the cross and said thank you. We've been really busy with life. But sometimes we need to go back and remember. Not just sing the words in a hymn. Think about what you did for us, everything. Thank you, Lord. And Father, as I hand it over to Pastor, I pray that you'd give him wisdom and that you would give him the knowledge to know how to handle the rest of the service. And God, we just so thank you for what you've done for us. You've been mighty good. In Jesus' name we pray. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.